Well, good morning, church family. I'm Pastor Scott. And this is Kevin. And we are back with another edition here of the post-sermon wrap-up podcast here as we bring chapter two of Ephesians to a close and part two of a a sermon series that we started last Sunday. This uh, Sunday, got to... Uh, have the special privilege of bringing this to a close, not just here in the church building, but also out in uh, the beautiful uh, park over in Mackinac. Beautiful Sunday morning. We so, had a sprinkling service, Scott. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> you know what? People will remember it. Yeah. It will be. It will yeah. be. It will be something that people talk about, like when the bus broke down on the way to Ascend. Camp, you know, it's not fun in the moment, but boy, it makes for something joyful later Can on. Can I just say story. how proud of our team I am? You know that that band and the, all the sound—they mm-hmm. did an amazing job setting all that up. Then kind of resetting it all up once mm-hmm. we realized, hey, it's going to keep raining. And then everybody came out. It was mm-hmm. such a sweet, sweet time. It Wonderful really time. Yeah. So you were able to wrap up Ephesians 2 uh, for us here, this uh, part 2 of um, uh, this sermon, verses 11 to 22, talking about kind of this uh, this new union that we have with Christ Jesus. So not just how Christ has saved us as individuals, but now how he has saved us into his, uh, his body here. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of, uh, just practical questions and applications that kind of come to mind as we think through this. One of the things that you really were trying to show here is just how, uh, Christ making peace with us impacts the way then that we pursue peace with others. But naturally, because we are still sinful and we, uh, are not, Nat, we don't naturally gravitate towards peacemaking. Right. Uh, you had mentioned how so often we result to uh, peace faking. So I, I'd be curious if you could just unpack that idea a little bit more. What, what do you mean when you say peace faking versus peacemaking? And why is it that we're so maybe prone to that? Yeah, and I want to give credit to Ken Sandy uh, for this. His very helpful book, we have it in our resource center for you to pick up anytime, called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy, S-A-N-D-E. He has a really helpful discussion in his book on how um, there's kind of a slippery slope of conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. And on the one end of the slippery slope, so one ditch to avoid would be peace faking Mm -hmm. responses to conflict. The other end of the slippery slope of of the other ditch on the other side of the road would be peace breaking Mm -hmm. responses. And so you, if you think about peace faking, you can think about uh, like where you're trying to just escape, mm-hmm. kind of just withdraw, um, kind of, you know, deny, run away, just dismiss it, tolerate it, no mm-hmm. big deal, you know, but, but yet you're not reconciled. You're just faking mm-hmm. it on the outside. The, the peace breaking responses are, of course, where I'm actually becoming aggressive and I'm attacking mm-hmm. with my words or with my actions. I'm, I'm you know, whether it's assault or litigation or or, you know, words, you know, mm-hmm. character assassination, or, you know, mm-hmm. in the worst case, I guess it'd be physical murder. So all of these mm-hmm. peace faking or peace breaking responses mm-hmm. to conflict are all sinful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not what Christ would call us to mm-hmm. now that we've been made one with him. Mm-hmm. And so the peace making responses are the, the peace making responses of, of really Pursuing reconciliation after sin. This is the response of confession, forgiveness, you know, reconciliation, mm-hmm. trying to mediate and, mm-hmm. and restore what was once broken. 
Okay. Tuffle, yeah. So you think about those two spectrums there. It's kind of helpful to maybe think of that, you know, that clam versus volcano, right? How, yeah. do, you, how do you respond to... <laughs> To, to anger, are you one who tends to, yeah, go introverted to, to really just clam up and to hide it as yep. if it's not there? It's or do analogy. you just yep. naturally, anytime something happens and you just, you blow up at it, right? Yeah. So understanding that God's design for us is not those two ditches, right? right. But it's the, the, it's the hard road, it's the middle road. It's the, the self-control of love. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's what God called you know, so God so loved us that we might love others, mm-hmm. right? So so this he made peace with us so mm-hmm. that we might make peace mm-hmm. with others. And it's the costly one, right? It's the it one is. that says that you're gonna you're gonna really sacrifice your own interests, right, mm-hmm. for the good of this relationship, whatever it might be. So Yeah. Um I think Tyson's going to be preaching more gonna, on yeah. that on Sunday. Yeah, I know. So. That's probably why it's fresh on my mind. It's, uh, Can't go there yet. Us. we got to wait a week. Tyson's not here to, to promote his next uh, next week's sermon, so we got to do it for you. Chapter so. 3 is coming. It's yeah. going to be good. Going to be good. But So we were, just, we were talking here just about then this, this union and this peace that we have because of what Christ has done, and yet most of us could probably look at you know, this passage or we could look at just the world around us and especially the church and just be like, well... So then help me understand why is the church so divisive at times? Yeah. Why in the world do we have uh, Methodists and Protestants and Baptists and, you know, Presbyterians? Why do we have so many denominations? If we're supposed to be one in Christ, yeah. why, why all this division that exists amongst Christians? Yeah. Well, and what does James 4 teach us? The root, ultimate cause of that division mm-hmm. is always the warring desires of our hearts. Um, we are sinners still. We've been saved by grace, mm-hmm. but we all have the leftover residue of sin and fleshiness that we have to fight to mortify and crucify in our lives every day by His grace. Mm-hmm. And, and to the extent that that flesh gets in the way, mm-hmm. um, it does create division. So, so let's remember what, what we learned from Ephesians 2. There's only two people in the world. Mm-hmm. There's only two group, people groups, excuse me. Mm-hmm. There's more than two people in the world. Okay. <laughs> it's just you and me, brother. It's been a long time <laughs> since we've been in that situation. So. so there's just two people groups in the world. Those who trust in Christ mm-hmm. for their salvation and those who trust in something else mm-hmm. and that something else could be jesus plus something mm-hmm. or it could be their own flesh whatever but there's only two people groups and yeah. so so let let that humble us in the church mm-hmm. with all of our denominations with all of our religious tribes and say listen at the end of the day does this person does this church preach the gospel of salvation through mm-hmm. christ alone by grace alone, through faith mm-hmm. alone, for the glory of God alone. Like, like, is this a church that is trusting in Christ? If so, mm-hmm. they are our brothers and sisters, and we ought to live at peace with them. It doesn't mean we have to agree mm-hmm. with them on every single thing, but uh, how did, how did uh, Al Mohler coin the phrase mm-hmm. um, when he was talking about differences among Christians? Yeah, and theological doctrines? triage. Theological triage. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not a doctor. What's 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 triage? Oh, referred God, to? You're gonna put me on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
a fancy word. <laughs> so when somebody word. comes in the ER, mm-hmm. all right, and you're a medical professional, you've got to you've got to immediately assess, like in a, in a situation of a mass casualty, maybe you have many many people coming into the ER at the same time. You're gonna you're gonna assess like mm-hmm. is this person life threatening? Like, do I need it, or can I pass over their cries mm-hmm. for pain? And do I need to pass over them and go to something else? What 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 is a triage? This is the dictionary definition. You of cheated, it. but that's I okay. know I did, but the, it's going to say it far better than I could, right? <laughs> it's yeah, especially in this medical context that you're saying here. It's the assignment of degrees of urgency to wounds or illnesses to decide the order of treatment to a large number of patients or casualties. Okay, so, right. Yeah, so it's very yeah. So theological triage just recognizes every biblical doctrine is not of the same urgency. Mm-hmm. It's not of the same weight. It's all valuable. It's all not, true, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's all life-giving, mm-hmm. but it's not all equal in importance or significance. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. If you try to make all doctrine equal in a significance or importance, you will be a fighter, and you will be an island at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, there is so much to learn about God and His glory we're not going to all be at the mm-hmm. same place in our understanding of it all the time on yeah. every fine point, right? But there's certain truth that you have to believe and have to agree with to be a Christian. <laughs> we would call that first order doctrine. <laughs> like if you disagree with the fact that Jesus is God, you cannot be a Christian. <laughs> if you disagree that Jesus' death and his blood paid for sins, then you're not a Christian, right? Like there's certain truths, doctrinal truths, mm-hmm. that we'd say these are first order level doctrines. You have to agree with these in order to be saved. Mm-hmm. But then there's second order. In other words, okay, we can all agree on these gospel truths, but now if we disagree on these second order things, mm-hmm. we can still be Christians and disagree, mm-hmm. but they're significant enough that we're probably not gonna be in the same local church. Mm-hmm. These are things like maybe the matter of infant baptism mm-hmm. versus um, believer's baptism. Mm-hmm. Or maybe are the sign gifts still operative today? Mm-hmm. Do, can we, do we still speak in tongues mm-hmm. or do we not? Mm-hmm. These, we can still be Christians and disagree mm-hmm. on these matters. But if we disagree, we're probably, it's going to be kind of like a, Mm-hmm. A Barnabas and Paul situation yeah. in Acts 19. We're probably going to be mm-hmm. in a different fellowship, you know, but but it doesn't mean we're not both Christians, you know. Yeah. And then there's third order doctrines, which mm-hmm. is like, hey, we can disagree on these matters and still be part of the same mm-hmm. church and joyfully serve together. In other words, there's mm-hmm. a theological triage that mm-hmm. you must do to be a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. You must not treat second mm-hmm. order issues like as if they're first order mm-hmm. issues or. God forbid, third order issues yeah. like matters of uh, preference and, and mm-hmm. just theological understanding as if they are divisive mm-hmm. among the body. So let's be peacemakers who are humble and remember from where we came from that the foot of the cross is level and there's really only two people groups in the world and let's hold off on the friendly fire mm-hmm. and the infighting that so often characterizes the church. Yeah, so yeah, what you're basically saying there, this is, you know, it's understanding of finding, you know, the right hills to die on. There so you this go. is, uh, uh, you know, we already recommended one book for you with uh, Ken Sandy and the Peacemaker. If you want to kind of think through this subject a little bit more of what we're talking about, which is a really helpful one, yes. uh, this is where I would highly recommend Gavin Ortland's really good book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On. So Excellent. that's very, a, very good. It really breaks down this concept in a way that's helpful to see 
kind of how those levels should be impacted. And he kind of gives a, a, a template for maybe what would fall under which and how he would categorize them. But there's some flexibility on that, but really helpful as we think through these things and how people think about churches and where they worship. And yeah. that's okay. That's not, not wrong. So. so let me say one more thing on this, Scott. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be very clear. What Ephesians 2 is teaching is not that we need to reduce Christianity down to its lowest common denominator mm-hmm. and not care at all about doctrine. Yeah. <laughs> that is not it, one of the mm-hmm. things you're going to know about Newcastle if you've been around here for any long length of time is our leaders here care a lot about doctrinal soundness. We mm-hmm. care a lot about what the scriptures actually teach mm-hmm. in the whole counsel of God's word. Mm-hmm. We care about doctrine and we teach it passionately, mm-hmm. but we recognize and the reason we do that is because it brings glory to God. Mm-hmm. The more we can understand God in his word, mm-hmm. uh, the, the more glory God is going mm-hmm. to get. So Definitely. the glory of God drives us to care about doctrine. But just because we care about the full counsel of God doesn't mean that we're fighters. Mm-hmm. We always want to be peacemakers and we want to put the right amount of weight mm-hmm. on the right categories of doctrine mm-hmm. as they are revealed through scripture. So let's think about this then. So one of those, uh, you know, maybe second order uh, doctrines that you were maybe hitting on there uh, had to do with maybe some of the, the sign gifts. So yeah. in this passage here, especially towards the end, talks about Christ's design for the church, especially early on. Uh, verse 20 talks about that it, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Mm-hmm. So we think about, you know, that that model there, we think about apostles and prophets. Um, <clears throat> some might wonder, you know, do apostles and prophets still exist? Is that something that still continues into the church today? Or was that specific to god's foundation of the church can you just help us maybe understand what's going on as we think through the role of apostles and prophets and do they still exist yeah excellent question so uh we're referring to ephesians 2 Mm -hmm. verse uh, 20 which says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone you can go on down to chapter 3 and you see the same reference um in verse 5 the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by his spirit. And then there's another place, I don't have it marked in my Bible, Mm -hmm. I can't find it, but it's another place I know here in the next uh, few paragraphs Mm -hmm. that he uses the exact same phrase, apostles and prophets. Um, Well, actually it's down in verse 11 of chapter 4. So we see that there. So um, To answer the question, do apostles and prophets continue today? We need to understand what does the New Testament teach about what an apostle was Mm -hmm. and what the prophets were. Now, the prophets here in Ephesians, Mm -hmm. I believe, are not referring to the Old Testament prophets. Mm -hmm. I believe they're referring to the New Testament prophets, meaning the apostles and the prophets are those people, those men that God's Spirit used to breathe out and record divine scripture. Mm -hmm. So the apostles and the prophets were the men like the apostle Paul, like Peter, Mm -hmm. who who were actually used to um, record Mm -hmm. the canon, the the full um, body of the New Testament scriptures, which we call the gospels. Mm -hmm. So it's, so, um, (coughs) 
now that the scriptures have mm. been revealed mm -hmm. and the New Testament canon is complete, we mm. believe there's no longer a need for the mm -hmm. apostles and prophets. But, but further than that, mm -hmm. if, you, if you understand how the scriptures describe an apostle, mm -hmm. an apostle needs to be an eyewitness of the, the resurrection of mm -hmm. Jesus, according to scripture. An apostle has to be um, somebody who is, their ministry is validated by miraculous signs mm -hmm. and wonders given by the Spirit. And so if you go on our website to myncbc.org, and you go on to the About Us section, and you go on to our uh, Mission Values and Beliefs page, you're going to see there's a group of theological questions and answers there. And one of the questions is, are apostles and prophets still existing in the church today? Mm -hmm. And if you click on that, you're going to see a, a good one-page treatment with all kinds of scriptures mm -hmm. that you can just hover your mouse over, and the scripture will come right up to help you see the scripture. And we walk through a biblical argument of why we believe the apostles and prophets, mm -hmm. that office was foundational to the church, mm -hmm. as Ephesians 2.20 mm -hmm. says, but it's not continuing in the mm -hmm. church. That's why, just like uh, Christ is the cornerstone yeah. upon which we rest upon the work of mm -hmm. these, these uh, New Testament authors, mm -hmm. but they don't continue today. Mm -hmm. we, they are foundational to mm -hmm. the church. Yeah. And they laid the groundwork, essentially, is what we would say yes. for it, for the rest of the body to be built up. But you can find a more uh, systematic treatment that my <clears throat> mind's not smart enough to recall off yeah. the top of my head. But just find that treatment on our website um, under Q&As mm -hmm. on do apostles and New, New Testament prophets exist today? Be careful going on that list of Q&As because you're going to find all kinds of questions that you're going to get oh, sucked I love into. It. Which I is, love this it. is a good problem. It's, There's a lot of them and we're happy to be able if to If you have more that questions way, so. that isn't answered, Search. send us an email yeah. and Scott would love to answer those for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put our interns to work that. <laughs> no, of uh, course. We, we'd love to we help. Excited. <laughs> well, we have time maybe just for one last question here as we wrap up. But just just uh, kind of thinking through so much of what Paul has been writing about here, um, you know, in this text, in the heart of it, we talk about with Christ, uh, who is our peace. It says here that uh, he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So that was a huge yeah. uh, moment here in this passage talking about this. And verse 15 says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, that's an interesting phrase because, you know, as you said, this idea of abolishing, it's this idea of kaboom, right? Yeah, it's, it's obliterated <laughs> it. And yet, kaboom. it was like Jesus that. himself who earlier in Matthew chapter 5 uh, in his ministry said, I have not come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it. Yes. And so naturally we want to say, whoa, 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 time out here. Cause I, I see, use the same I, word. I see abolish. A, <laughs> no, I see a contradiction here, right? <laughs> so Jesus said he didn't come to abolish it, but now he has come to abolish it. So which, which is it? Or yeah. how do we reconcile what's happening? Okay. That? So you got to understand that the, the, uh, when in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So that's that's the um, the law or the prophets is kind of a, a title mm -hmm. for the Mosaic law. Okay? Yeah. So it's 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 referring to all of these ordinances, all of these laws that were dis external distinctives for the nation of Israel to set them apart from other nations in the world. So this was their sacrificial system. This was their dietary laws. This was their um, feast and their their um, 
you know, circumcision laws. Like everything would have been included under that mm-hmm. title. And, and, and Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish that. Mm-hmm. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, not will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, a couple of things to keep in mind here. Uh, Jesus is basically saying, I am the fulfillment of perfect obedience. Mm-hmm. So all of these 660 laws, or 620, I think it's 620 laws mm-hmm. in the Mosaic Law, all these that are summarized by the Ten Commandments, all of these laws, Jesus says, I have perfectly kept all of them. And unless your righteousness is even better than the best religious people of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, perfect obedience is impossible. This law Paul's mm-hmm. going to go on to argue later in Galatians, this law condemned us. Mm-hmm. This law made us see our sinfulness. Mm-hmm. Nobody was able to keep all these laws. And yet it was a revelation of God's righteousness so that we would see and understand we can't keep this. Mm-hmm. We can't live this way. God wanted us to be peculiar people different than the rest of the nations. These are all the mm-hmm. ways that love actually works out in all these practical expressions. But we can't love like that. We're not good mm-hmm. enough to do it. And Jesus comes and says, listen, I didn't come to lower the standard of righteousness. I came mm-hmm. to actually provide your righteousness. Mm-hmm. So, so now what we see happening as we go through the course of progressive revelation mm-hmm. and we see that the Jewish people reject their Messiah and in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus turns and brings all mm-hmm. the Gentiles. He starts going to the Gentiles, starts preaching in parables. We see all of this course of history. By the time you get to the apostles' ministry, in Ephesians chapter 2, you mm-hmm. see Paul recognizing that actually all of those external distinctives of Judaism, mm-hmm. all of the Jewish externals of you know, circumcision, dietary laws, all of those things have been obliterated. They've been blown up mm-hmm. because the substance of that, which is love, is fulfilled in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And so now the law of Moses no longer has any hold or authority upon Mm -hmm. God's people because it has been replaced or fulfilled with a higher law, which we call the law of Christ. Mm -hmm. So now all who are in Christ are holding to an even higher standard than the Mm -hmm. Mosaic law, which is the law of love, Mm -hmm. which is fulfilled in Christ And in so doing, all the external distinctives between Mm -hmm. Jews and Gentiles is completely kaboom. Does that help? That's good news. That is really good news. That is really, really good news. Mm -hmm. So that's why we don't follow Mm -hmm. the the dietary laws of the Old Testament. I know there's Mm -hmm. kind of a movement among evangelical Christians today to still, still say, oh, well, you know, if it was good for God's people then, then we need to live that way. We don't follow the feast. You know, we don't, we don't have to, like all of the Old Testament mm-hmm. distinctives of yeah. circumcision, all these things, they are no longer required mm-hmm. or necessary for God's people to follow, mm-hmm. which you can imagine, like if you are a first century Jew, mm-hmm. this is radical. Mm-hmm. And this is why 
Paul had to condemn Peter because mm-hmm. Peter went back to Galatia and he got, you know, when the circumcision showed up, he wouldn't eat at the same table with them because he's a Jew and, and he's, 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 you know, I mean, this is a big, big deal because it's a radical, radical watershed moment mm-hmm. for, for the, the God's people yeah. in the course of history. Well, we're going to continue to unpack it a little bit more as we go through chapter three. I uh, know Tyson has a lot in store for for this. He's very I'm excited, really excited about it. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, we're it's amazing. We're approaching the kind of the midway point in this letter already, and and we're going to really start to turn the corner then on how all this practically works itself out mm-hmm. into our lives as Christians. And so we're excited to do so. Thank you again for your time this morning. I know you have a busy week in store and. Uh, but we are thankful for your faithful ministry of God's word. And, uh, we are praying for you, church family, that God would continue to just open your eyes to to continue to behold this truth, to not, uh, to not in any way fight against it, but to really just rejoice in it and Hmm. to celebrate, uh, the oneness that we now have in Christ Jesus. So thank you for your, your time this morning. And we'll look forward to seeing you again in the weeks ahead. God bless you. We love you.